You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. Holding assets such as an investment property or a share portfolio with others is reasonably common. However, what's not commonly known is that co-owners of passive investments are actually treated as partners for tax law purposes. My name's Craig Day. I'm the Executive Manager of Technical Services and here to chat me to chat to me about this issue is our Scottish Senior Technical Services Manager, Linda Bruce. Hi Linda. Hi, Craig. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. So um, jumping straight in. So you've written this article around co-ownership of assets, partners, partners in partnership and financial planning considerations. So as I said there in the kickoff, that um, actually owning assets together with someone else can potentially treat, have you treated as a, as a partner in tax law. So that doesn't really make much sense. Partners, I thought, were actually people running a business together. Can you talk me through what partners actually are for common law and tax law purposes? It does sound strange, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. So for general law purposes, you're correct. It just involved with association of individuals, uh, persons, who are running their business through a structure called a partnership. Mm-hmm. So those individuals are partners in the partnership, mm-hmm. and that's uh, under the general law. But for tax law purposes, the definition is a lot broader. So people running businesses through partnership are definitely captured under tax law. But little did people know that co-owners simply holding an investment property, a share portfolio, or bank account together simply because they're receiving income jointly. That will make them partners in a partnership for tax law purposes. Okay, so just to reiterate there, so if you're running a business together, you're definitely a partner in a partnership. Absolutely, yeah. But also, husband and wife that own an investment property or own a bank account Mm -hmm. under joint names Mm -hmm. would also be treated as... Partners. Partners for tax law purposes. purposes. Okay. Now, there, there's several different ways you can own assets. So you can own asset as joint tenants. You can also own as an asset as tenants in common. So joint tenants is just, if you and I owned uh, an asset together, we're just both considered to be joint equal owners of that asset. Whereas if we were tenants in common, we mm-hmm. may have a 50-50% ownership each or a different percentage, yep. maybe 60-40. And what that means is my 60% or your 60% is your asset. Mm. Um, if you were to pass away or I was to pass away or the dog next door was to pass away, um, then that asset gets treated as mine yep. separately. Now, does it matter if, for example, if, if I own an asset jointly, that would seem to me that clearly I'm a tax law partner because I'm earning income 
with you if mm. we're joint owners, but if we're tenants in common, mm -hmm. does that make a difference? It doesn't make any difference. We'll look at the definition. doesn't matter whether we're holding the assets jointly as a tenancy in common or um, joint tenants. Mm -hmm. We are still receiving that income jointly. So you own the asset, you co-own the asset. Yep. It doesn't matter how you own it. You're earning income jointly, therefore you're a that tax That makes you partners. Okay, yes. terrific. So if we now look at the way income is assessed, because this is potentially going to impact how or what government concessions they're yep. potentially eligible for. So if we have a look at, first of all, a, you know, a normal common law business, so two people running a business together, mm -hmm. how is their their income calculated for taxation purposes? It's required by the 1936 Act that if the partnership runs a business, the partners will have to lodge a separate tax return. It's called a partnership tax return. Okay, all right, let me stop you there. But a partnership's not an entity. It's not a tax entity. It's not a tax entity. But it's a reporting entity. Right, so they, they still need to lodge a tax return. To report the accessible income. Okay, but where, so if I'm one of the partners yep. in that partnership, mm -hmm. I then declare that income in my in my own personal tax return. You don't declare the gross income in the partnership. Okay. The partnership will look at an accessible income at a partnership level yep. and also allowable deductions that can be deducted at a partnership level. The right. net income is called partnership net income mm -hmm. will be distributed to all partners. Okay, so what you're telling me there is I don't say, okay, well, let's say the business has got income of $100,000 and deductions, let's say, of $20,000. Yeah. If Let's say we're in business together 50-50. Um, I don't declare my $50,000 worth of income and then claim $10,000, my share of those deductions, do I? It's, you certainly don't. No. So how does it work? The partnership will figure out, so I got $80,000 net income mm -hmm. in your particular case. Yep. I got two partners as per the partnership agreement. Mm -hmm. Look, when people going in, into the business together in a partnership, very often they have partnership agreement. Mm -hmm. That could be 50-50 or could it be 40-60. Yep. So in this particular case, 50-50, the net income of $80,000 must be distributed in accordance with the uh, respective interests of the partners. Okay, in, so quite interesting. Yeah. So I'm not... I'm not putting in my tax return 50 with deductions of 10. I'm just including a net partnership income distribution or $40,000. Yes. Right. So that's interesting. So my assessable income in that situation, if I'm that partner mm -hmm. in, that, in that business, would be $40,000. $40, it's not going to be 50. I assessable income being yep. your assessable income, you don't take into account deductions because that leaves you with taxable income. So in that situation, if I was earning that same income personally, mm -hmm. not in a business structure, mm -hmm. I would have assessable income of 50,000 then deductions of 10 leaving me with um, taxable income of 40. Whereas what you're telling me here is because I'm in partnership, um, I'm just my assessable income in this situation. If excluding all my other assessable income, yep. would just be $40,000. That's correct. Um, in your example, if you are a sole trader, mm -hmm. you, your assessable income would be the gross income of $50,000. Yep. But if you're partners in a partnership, it's your share of net income in the partnership will be treated as your assessable income. Okay. Now, 
That makes sense from a business perspective. What about, you know, the clients that are husband and wife that own typically an investment property together, mm -hmm. um, joint owners? How does it work there? From a tax law perspective, it doesn't matter whether the partnership runs a business or not. It's the partner's net share of income in, in the partnership will go to the accessible income. Mm -hmm. um, the tricky thing here is that from a reporting perspective, only the partnership that runs a business needs to lodge a separate tax return. Mm -hmm. But if the partnership is not running a business, for example, co-owners who jointly receive income together, they're not required to lodge a separate tax return. That's when the thing's getting a little bit tricky. Okay, so what I think you're telling me here is, if we go back to that same example, let's yeah. say we've got, um, in this case, let's say $100,000 worth of income yep. to keep things consistent. Yep. Coming out of this residential investment property, mm -hmm. I've got interest expenses and other deductions off that of $20,000. Yep. So my, my net income there is going to be $80,000. Now, um, because I'm not lodging a partnership tax return for yep. a husband and wife that own an investment property, That's right. um, how do I actually show that income in my tax return because I would have thought you had to declare the gross income and then claim your deduction. So it's kind of working the opposite way that you suggested. Is that the case? It's still the case that net income is worked out at a partnership level. Mm -hmm. However, from a reporting perspective, the co-owners are different from the partners in the business. Right. From reporting, merely from a reporting perspective, the co-owners will need to declare their share of the gross income in their individual tax return mm -hmm. and their share of the deductions in the partnership in the tax return. So that's where the things are getting a little bit trickier because you are declaring the higher amount of the income from the partnership. That's yep. not really your accessible income. Right. So th there's a trap here because... Um, in that situation, um, if we're looking once again as, as this person as a couple, so my share of that net $80,000, if we assume joint ownership, yep. would be $40,000. But what I'm doing in my tax return in the, in the rental income section, I'm actually declaring the gross income of 100 or sorry, in this case, 50, yep. uh, and then my share of the deductions of 10, leading me to 40. Yep. Now, what you're saying there is that's just the way it works in the tax return. Correct. Um, but there is an adjustment to make sure that my assessable income would only be $40,000. If that was my only form of income, it would be only $40,000. Correct. So that's a real trap, isn't it? When you're thinking about um, providing financial advice, you may go back to the tax return. You may see there that they've got gross income, in this case of... $50,000 from this residential investment property, they've got deductions of um, $10, 10 but I would say, okay, well, in that situation, your assessable income is actually 50, and that level of assessable income will actually knock you off from what sort of concessions? Well, what are we looking at here? Some concessions or strategies are based on taxable income yep. or just the taxable income, but some measures do based on assessable income, such as government co-contribution mm -hmm. and a spouse contribution tax offset. Right, so both of those. If I was just to go back and look at the tax return mm -hmm. and look at the various labels, I might think you've got too much income. Correct. You've got too much accessible income to be precise. But 
what we actually need to do is look at a different label in that tax return, don't we? Section or label A3. Correct. Because what that does is it adjusts the amount of my assessable income for my partnership distribution. And so in that situation, uh, in the example that we keep on using, um, my assessable income in that situation wouldn't be 50, it would be adjusted down to 40. Correct. Okay, and that may, may make all the difference in terms of my ability to claim the co-contribution or to get a spouse contributions tax Absolutely. offset. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Wow. So the real important uh, rule of thumb is there, just be aware that if you look at the wrong labels on that tax return, um, you may assume that the client is not eligible. Um, go back and make sure you're looking at the relevant section. So in that situation, you could go, if you want some more information on this, go and look at Linda's excellent article uh, on the website, on the First Tech webpage. Now, that's not the only... So that's not the only financial planning issue that I've got to think about from a tax law partnership, is it? I've no. got to think about this potentially impacts superannuation advice as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. So can you run me through where this happens? It's relating to something called a related party. Okay, so specific. normally it's very specific to self-managed super fund advice, Correct. right? So a related party for a self-managed super fund, if I remember correctly, a related party includes a member mm -hmm. and a part eight associate yes. of a member. So yes. can you run through the part eight associates? There's one there that really captures us, doesn't it? Partners in a yeah. partnership. Partners in a partnership, so yep. if a member is a partner in the partnership mm -hmm. and all other partners in the same partnership and including their spouse and the children will make them related party of this sum and your super fund. Okay, so um, now partnership, once again, we're looking at that, isn't that just a business? Unfortunately, what's, yeah, no. What's it's the a, definition of a, a partnership for CIS purposes? Again, it's the same definition of a tax law. So it includes a partnership running business Yep. It's also including the partnership that basically co-owners holding a joint assets together. Yeah, so when you look at the definition of, of partnership for yep. CIS law purposes, it actually says partnership includes mm. tax law partners. Yes. Okay, or partners as defined under the 1997 Tax Act, so which would That's include, true. yeah. So now in that situation, so that can really potentially catch people out. So mm. if I'm looking at you know, acquiring an asset, let's say from yourself, mm -hmm. um, we're colleagues, mm -hmm. um, we might run a business together. Yeah. Um, you might not think of me as an associate of yours, but now we're in business together, mm. we're earning income jointly, so therefore you will be my associate. Correct. So therefore, if my self-managed super fund wants to buy something off you, it's now acquiring an asset from a related party. So we now need to apply the Section 66 prohibition. So, you know, the trustee should not acquire or is prohibited from acquiring an asset from a related party. So you yourself would now form part of that, as well as any entities you control. Now, the interesting thing there is it's not as we talked about before, it's not just people running businesses together. Mm -hmm. yep. You could be someone I know, mm -hmm. um, we've known each other from university, great yeah. mates, um, we've always kind of done things like investment clubs or whatever together, mm -hmm. and we've gone out and bought an investment property together because we think that that's a prudent investment decision. Now, exactly. all of a sudden, mm -hmm. we own that as tenants in common, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, your 50% is yours and my 50% is mine, but that makes you an associate. 
That's absolutely correct. You can read in my mind, like me and my friend Wendy, we're very, very close. We actually have an investment property together. That's a residential investment property. Now it's freaking me out. Wendy's talking about leaving me and going to Singapore. She's a fashion designer. And she's saying, Linda, you want to buy, me, buy my share? I don't have enough money outside the super. Mm -hmm. If I were wanting myself many super to buy her share, I didn't know that she was my related party of myself and your super fund yep. simply because we're holding this investment yeah. property together. Yeah, I can give you actually another real life example where we saw this. Uh, it was a situation where um, there was two business associates. Now they weren't considered related parties of each other. Um, and what they'd done is they both uh, had self-managed super funds. So they'd gone and set up one of these unrelated trusts. So they set up a unit trust. Um, because they were just colleagues or friends or whatever they were, they weren't technically related parties of each other for the CISLAW purposes. They went and set up a unit trust and each self-managed super fund went and acquired 50% of the units in the unit trust. So technically that unit trust is not a related party of either self-managed super fund. And, and that all worked. It all lined up from a, from a compliance perspective. And then one day one of these uh, clients came into this advisor's office and said, oh, look, we've identified this residential investment property we think is a really good deal. Um, we'd like to go and purchase that and I want to do it with my colleague. Would that cause a problem? Mm. And in that situation, that advisor didn't realise the implications of if they go and buy that property together as tenants in common, that that all of a sudden bought that, you know, that, yep. uh, that colleague in as an associate for tax law purposes and therefore for superannuation purposes. purposes. And then the realisation then dawned was, what does that mean for our related trust? So everything was set up, it was running smoothly, and then they went and bought this asset external to the SMSF, but what that did is created the tax law partnership which made them associates, which now made that unit trust sitting between their two self-managed super funds related to both of those self-managed super funds. Therefore, it was an investment in a related trust, so therefore you're limited to the 5% in-house asset limit. So um, really important, don't, um, don't just assume because you're doing something external to the fund that that can't potentially have an impact as well. So I think that covers it, Linda. Is there anything else we really need to be aware of? It's just a reminder for the advisors, if you hear that your client wants to acquire something from their friends, just double check they are not holding a bank account together or jointly holding any other yeah. investment property. And I suppose, the, yeah, the other important thing there is just come back. If, if you've got clients, husband and wife, owning a residential investment property together, um, don't make the mistake of overestimating their income when it yeah. comes to doing things or like accessing the, the spouse contributions tax offset or that, that quite valuable co-contribution. Um, make sure you look at that label A3 yep. and that's going to give you an indication of whether they qualify or not. Yep. So keep that in mind. Okay, I think that's, that's it. Thanks, Linda. Thank you, Craig. No Thanks problems. for your time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please remember, these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action.
And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision. And once again, consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.